Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the many facets of dementia. Managing the financial, legal, and medical challenges of a loved one's cognitive decline. Also this morning, to your health, May is Melanoma Awareness Month. What you need to know about the deadliest form of skin cancer and how not to become the latest statistic. More for Small Business Week, what a new survey by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce reveals about small business confidence and the challenges faced by entrepreneurs in a high-inflation post-pandemic economy. And happening around town in recognition of Asian American and Pacific Islander Month, Findlay's Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center is hosting the Dances of India. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. So this is the story here. The U.S. Surgeon General is calling loneliness a public health crisis. Dr. Vivek Murthy has released an advisory calling attention to isolation and the lack of connection that he is seeing in America. He says that even before COVID-19, and that's the the initial reaction when you hear that. You think, well, yeah, we spent two years social distancing and isolating from everyone else uh, ostensibly to protect our health. Um But that led to this huge explosion in loneliness. Very true. But, he says, even before COVID-19, even before the pandemic, about half of adults said that they were experiencing loneliness every day. And uh, he says it can raise the risk of premature death by 26%. I don't know how you quantify that. I just, I wonder how you come up with that number. I mean, I'm guessing he didn't just pull that out of thin air. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I would imagine they have some sort of formula to attach a number to that. But 26% uh, is the uh, increase of premature death due to loneliness and social isolation. Uh, It's also been linked to an increased risk of stroke, heart disease, dementia, anxiety, depression, and self-harm. So, basically, get out and socialize. Again, it just, uh, I think, adds credence to that whole question of uh, was the cure worse than the disease for the pandemic? I don't, I don't mean to second-guess public health experts, but there certainly appears to have been something to the argument that Socially distancing and social isolation during the pandemic was not all it was cracked up to be. May have protected us from COVID-19, yes, but now we are dealing with all of the after effects. More of the first things you need to know to get your Wednesday morning started. You know, the weight loss industry, that's the other big uh, ongoing public health crisis, the crisis of obesity in America. So many people fighting the battle of the bulge. And this has been going on for decades. So much so that it has created a multi-billion dollar industry. But does this multi-billion dollar industry actually do anything to combat, do anything significant to combat the problem? Well, a new study from the Ohio State University finds that skipping meals and taking diet pills will not help you shed excess pounds, especially without other lifestyle changes. 
Researchers analyzed data from over 20,000 adults, so this is a pretty extensive study, and uh, they compared weight loss strategies amongst these 20,000 people. And there are probably 20,000 different weight loss strategies out there. Um, They examined metrics like blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar, smoking, physical activity, diet, and sleep. 17,000 out of the 20,000 participants maintained or gained weight in the past year. So 17... Thousand out of 20,000 were not able to lose any weight at all. And those that did lose weight only lost about 5% of their weight. Those who did not lose a significant amount reported skipping meals and taking diet pills to try and lose weight. Those were the, the two most common things that didn't work. Uh, according to the author of the study for Ohio State, Colleen Spees, Quote, we saw that people are still gravitating to non-evidence-based approaches for weight loss, which are not sustainable. What is sustainable, she says, is changing behaviors and eating patterns. So, make of that what you will, but it is more evidence that these uh, fad diets and fly-by-night weight loss theories uh, just are not effective. So... The old tried and true. Watch what you eat. Get more exercise. Those are really the uh, the the keys there. Kind of interesting. Um, you know, and talk about a sedentary lifestyle and the fact that we don't get enough activity. That was certainly not helped during the pandemic when uh, people went to working remotely and um, you know just getting out of the house. Uh, we stopped doing that altogether. This is kind of interesting. Uh, You talk about, and I don't want to use the word lazy, but you have to wonder if this is the ultimate in laziness among remote workers. More than one-third, this is according to a new survey of 2,000 work-from-home employees, more than a third are typing away on their computers in bed. Not only are we working from home, but we're not even getting out of bed to work from home. <laughs> Again, I don't want to use the word lazy, but uh, you know, it's one thing not to want to get up, get dressed, go to the office, you know, commute and all of that. I'd rather just walk down the hall to my home office, but we're not even doing that, apparently. <laughs> A fair number are just staying in bed. Not even walking to our home office. Uh, At least for an hour a day, uh, remote workers are working from, not just home, but from bed. A sign sign that the pandemic has altered our home lives, 55% of those who recently moved did so in part for a better home office. So, yeah, that was like the number one thing or a top thing that people are looking for in a new home is uh, paying attention to the home office facilities or the the setup for a home office. The average remote worker, it says, uh, spends $1,700 of their own money to work more comfortably at home. Um, Perks of staying at home include uh, more more comfortable clothes, uh, eliminating the commute, working on their own schedule, 
Working from home has evolved from makeshift workspaces using countertops and bar stools to a more thought-out home office setup. Uh, and in some cases, home office setups that rival even the best corporate office spaces, according to Kevin Moffat of the Home Depot, which, of course, uh, is one of those uh, retail you know, home improvement stores really uh, saw a boom in people redoing their spaces, spaces for the purposes of working at home. So they uh, did, this, uh, did this survey. $1,700 is what we're speaking. How much... Of a savings. I mean, I know people love working at home because, hey, I'm saving money. I don't have to, I don't have to do the daily commute. I don't have to eat out all the time. Uh, I don't have to uh, buy work clothes and, and all of that, or as many work clothes. But if we're spending seventeen hundred dollars to remodel our home office to make that space as productive as possible, how much are we really saving? You know, I just I wonder about that. Um. Speaking of work, this is kind of interesting. Um, A new study uh, reveals the nations where the richest people in the world live. Where do the richest people in the world live? Uh, This is kind of interesting. France takes the number one spot as the home of Bernard Arnault and his family. Arnault is the head of the uh, Louis Vuitton uh, parent company in the fashion empire, fashion and beauty uh, empire. He's the richest person in the world, and he lives in France, so that kind of skews the numbers toward France. But France, the number one spot for the richest people in the world. Arnaud's uh, beauty empire, by the way, is a net worth of over $214 billion, making him the wealthiest person in the world. The United States takes second place uh, for the place where the richest people in the world live. Elon Musk is the second wealthiest person in the world. Mexico is third. Uh, Carlos Slim uh, and his, uh, his family is uh, telecommunications magnet in uh, Mexico. Uh, Carlos Slim. And uh, let's see here. India, Spain, China, Canada, Germany, Hong Kong, and Italy. Uh, the rest of the top ten there. Yeah. Uh, so it's France, United States, Mexico, India, Spain, China, Canada, Germany, Hong Kong, and Italy. The top three richest people in the world are successful in the retail, transportation, and telecom businesses. It goes on to say, I just thought that was kind of interesting where the uh, richest people in the world that live. And of course, if you're working remotely, you can live anywhere. So why not go where the rich people are? And, uh, how about this? Uh, Something to chew on, something to think about. Who has more guts? Who is the gutsiest people that you think of the gutsiest people you know? Are they generally men or women? When it comes to guts, it turns out that women have the men beat. Literally by an entire foot. As it turns out, a new study reveals that women have longer small intestines than their male counterparts. (laughs) How did we not know this until now? Um, But apparently this is new information. Researchers believe that this could help women deal with stress better because they literally have more guts. Despite being on average five inches shorter than men, women have approximately one foot more of the winding muscular tube extending from the stomach to the colon. 
The longer intestine is believed to help women better absorb nutrients needed for pregnancy and breastfeeding, according to a team from North Carolina State University. So that is the reason, biologically, but the effect is that uh, women are actually better, I guess, the dealing with stress. Who knew? Now you do. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly cloudy today, high in the mid-50s, partly cloudy and cold tonight, a low in the upper 30s. Beginning on Thursday, drivers won't be able to use County Road 180 to get across State Route 15, a little southeast of Findlay, until an overpass project is finished. Hancock County engineer Doug Cade says the overpass will improve safety by eliminating crashes, which have become more frequent over the years as traffic has increased. In the last 20 years, we've seen a huge increase in the number of accidents. And because of the high speeds uh, that are associated with State Route 15, the severity is enormous. The overpass project is anticipated to take about six months and should be finished in the fall. Get more of our conversation with Cade about the project on our website. Finley Mayor Christina Mern withstood a challenge from fellow Republican Haiti Sadler in Tuesday's primary election. This means in the fall, Mayor Mern will be running for her second full term as mayor. There were no Democrats running for Finley Mayor in the primary, but Mern could face a write-in challenger in the fall. Get more election results on our website. The 180th Fighter Wing has announced it'll be participating in a large-scale readiness exercise Thursday through Sunday at the unit's base in Swanton, about 15 miles west of Toledo. Officials with the Ohio Air National Guard unit described the exercise as a full-scale assessment of the unit's ability to survive and operate in challenged environments. People near the base may see and hear increased activity during the exercise. F-16 fighter jets will be taking off and landing at various times throughout the week. I'm Tracy Townsend. The Hancock Historical Museum will be hosting its monthly brown bag lecture on Thursday at noon. Dr. Dwayne Beggs will present a lecture on the Tonkin Golf Resolution and the American entrance into the Vietnam War. The lecture is free for museum members and $3 for non-members. Get more on the website. Blanchard Valley Health System has named Carolyn Salisbury a cashier in the Food and Nutrition Department at the hospital as its 2022 Associate of the Year. Carolyn has worked for BVHS for 15 years and says what she likes most about her role is the opportunity to get to know a variety of people. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning. Dealing with the many facets of dementia, the financial, the legal, the medical challenge of a loved one's cognitive decline. It is the topic of a seminar coming up at St. Andrew's Church uh, here in uh, the next uh, few days, coming up on uh, May 6th, uh, presented in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, we are joined in the studio this morning by the uh, featured guest speakers at that seminar, local attorney Garth Brown, uh, financial advisor Rich Rowe, and uh, Marty Willeman of the Ohio Council for Cognitive Health. And uh, Marty, I actually want to start with you uh, because this is a growing problem. Uh, this is uh, something that more and more families uh, are dealing with as the population ages, the baby boomer generation especially. 
That's right, Chris. And we've interviewed a lot of times together, and I wish I could come in here and say we're on the decline. But unfortunately, with an aging society, number one risk factor for dementia is age. It's not inevitable. Dementia is not inevitable as we age, but it is the number one risk factor. So we unfortunately do see an increase. Do we understand any more about what uh, leads to it, what causes it, any ways to prevent it, that kind of thing? Well, with Alzheimer's disease, it's still the old plaques and tangles. Uh, Tangles get inside the neurons in in the brain and the plaque built up on the outside of the neuron in the brain. So that's still the theory, and that's where the treatments are aiming to get rid of that amyloid. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, as far as prevention, we still talk about lifestyle will help potentially help reduce your risk. Mm -hmm. Exercise, nutrition, good nutrition, using your brain, and then socialization is really Uh, being seen as a key part of all this. And with COVID coming out of COVID and the isolation that occurred with that, there's a lot of emphasis on people getting out there, socializing, getting engaged with each other. As we mentioned, uh, the medical challenges, just one facet of uh, the issue of dementia. Uh, Also, again, at the seminar, uh, talking about the uh, financial and, and legal uh, implications here. And, uh, Garth, what are the, the biggest uh, legal uh, issues that, I, again, this is maybe one of those things that uh, it's easy to see what the, the medical uh, implications are, to a certain extent the financial implications. What is the legal side of this? Well, the issue is at some point you have to prepare for being able to make decisions. And by the time most people realize they have dementia to that extent. It's the family members that are trying to make decisions. And if they don't have the legal ability to make those decisions for the individual who's been impaired, uh, then we're in a situation where we have to go to the court and ask for court intervention. And, And that becomes very difficult for the individual. It becomes difficult for the family. And we can do some advanced planning to try and prevent some of those difficulties. If nothing else, it's a hassle that can be avoided. For the most part. Uh, Obviously, we can't predict everything. I wish I had a crystal ball that I could uh, look into the future for each individual. I can't, but we can do a lot of planning to help help that situation when we what get are what are some of those uh, components of a, of a legal plan for dealing with this? It, it really is uh, in part depending on what their finances are, where they'll be cared for, depending on the extents of the dementia. Uh, can they stay at home? Uh, but but a power of attorney is a good first step. It allows people to make uh, financial decisions for someone else. Um, there are health care documents that allow peop- an individual to make health care decisions for someone else. Mm-hmm. There is specifically one designed for mental health treatment, which is uh, especially important uh, in the dementia area because it allows someone when they're Uh, able to make those decisions to say, yes, I'm interested in this type of treatment, and no, I'm not interested in that type of treatment. Mm -hmm. So it's a discussion that's difficult, but if we have it early enough, uh, it allows them to plan for it. And and, and that's the key, is is having this uh, early enough uh, to set all of these uh, plans in motion, I guess, for lack of a better term. Is this... uh, is this something that people don't do because they don't realize how significant it is or because they don't want to talk about it? They're concerned about how much this is going to cost or the comp- uh, complexity of it? I mean, what is the biggest uh, uh, sticking point? 
I think if I had to make a list of reasons, you just hit on just about every one of them. <laughs> it's a very difficult subject to talk about. Um, people are concerned about what's the cost going to be, because obviously once they start to deal with issues, dementia, financial is always a big component of that. It, it's a lot less expensive for most people than they would expect. Uh, it really is about discussing what, what are their needs and, and what decisions do we need to address moving forward. And, of course, the uh, financial implications here, Rich, is the, uh, the topic that you'll be speaking to. Are there – now, obviously, uh, as people get older, uh, there are always financial issues that you want to address. And hopefully you've been doing this, you know, uh, preparing for uh, your uh, older years. What are the – uh, the aspects that go above and beyond just any normal financial planning when Alzheimer's is involved? Um, and, the, and those are great points, great questions. Um, most families don't plan ahead for long-term care. And the earlier they do that, especially insurance, mm-hmm. uh, the cheaper it is. Because the longer you wait, your premiums jump about 10 to 12% every year you wait past about age 45. Hmm. Um, so it can get very expensive if you're in your 60s and you want to go get insurance. Plus, you may have some drug you're taking or some health issue, and a lot of insurance companies won't even pick you up. Um, then the other issue is, what do you do with the well spouse? Um, and that's a big focus because a lot of times maybe one spouse has a pension plan, and they don't realize that that pension, if that spouse has to have home care or nursing home care, 100% of that pension pension is going to go to their care mm-hmm. and their social security is going to go to their care. So how does the well spouse keep the house and pay the bills and, and live? Um, yeah. So- I, I know when uh, my uh, father uh, got to that point where he's no longer able to take care of himself and he had to make those decisions, you're hit with uh, that reality of just how expensive all of this care is, whether we're, you know, that long-term uh, aspect, whether it's in the home or in a facility of some type. And that's, it, it really is uh, shocking. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in the early 90s, you used to buy uh, long-term care based on cost per day, and it was like $28 a day. Yeah. Now it's two sixty-five, two seventy a day. Mm. Um, and we have a lot less insurance companies around because they didn't anticipate the rising costs over the years. They also thought interest rates would be 6% or higher forever. Yeah. Um, and they also thought a lot of people would cancel policies because with life insurance, about 70% of the policies actually get canceled and they never have to pay out. Hmm. But not long-term care. Yeah, that's uh, and and again, Marty, as we were talking, the fact that this is a growing issue just amplifies all of these other things that we're talking about. It it really does, and it's, there's a lot of um, misconceptions out there. A lot of uh, families think that if my loved one needs nursing home placement, Medicare is going to take care of it. That's not the case. Right. Yeah. Um, Medicare will cover short-term nursing stays, mm-hmm. nursing home stays, if it's a skilled need. And short-term, we're talking weeks and maybe a couple months. And the uh, to the extent that there is uh, uh, Medicaid uh, available, that means wiping out all of your uh, your assets to avail yourself of that, right? I mean, I wouldn't I, say wiping them all out, but, but there's there's a process. I yeah. mean, it's virtually uh, all of it. Uh, in order to become Medicaid eligible, yeah. you have to essentially divest yourself of your assets. And, yeah. and in order to be eligible, that threshold is very, very low. Yeah. So uh, 
with all of this in mind, again, we bring up all of these issues, which will be uh, presented and covered uh, to a certain extent, or at least giving people, um, it's only a couple of hours, so we're not going to go into you know deep depth, uh, you know, do a deep dive on all of these issues, but giving people a lot to think about, who would you recommend this seminar for? Um, it's for um, caregivers and loved ones with people with dementia, and also people probably in the early stages of dementia mm-hmm. would benefit from it. And, and again, uh, the earlier the better, because as you were saying, Garth, uh, when people are still capable of making these decisions and, and so on about their own care, that's the best time to start talking about this. And even younger uh, families where maybe there's some dementia in the family, a history of this, you're not dealing with it yet, but you want to get ahead of it. You know, every program that we do on dementia, it's it's just a wide variety of folks that come out. People that are wondering if this is affecting myself, someone in my family, people that just want to get more general information about dementia. This is a great seminar that Nancy has helped put together for the church and for the community because we've got these, you know, three three people that can address different areas of the disease. And uh, Nancy, as we mentioned, this is coming up on Saturday, right? Saturday from 1 to 3 at St. Andrew's Church. Um, and th- we'd like you to call and register. Okay. The number is 419-422-4845. But there is no cost for this, there, right? It's, it's free. This yeah. is a free seminar. You just kind of like to get a head count. Uh, right. And we've got a link up on our webpage for uh, more information about the uh, Dementia Seminar, Legal and Financial Issues, presented by St. Andrew's Church in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Association. Again, Garth Brown, Rich Rowe, Marty Willeman with us uh, this morning. They will be the uh, featured uh, guest speakers. Thank you all for uh, joining us this morning. We appreciate it. <laughs> To your health this morning, May is Melanoma Awareness Month. And joining us this morning is board-certified dermatologist Dr. Amy Spizwoko. Um, Amy, this is something that hopefully everyone knows uh, how serious this is. Melanoma being one of the most deadly forms of skin cancer, you actually have some data, some statistics and figures that kind of drive that point home. Yes, so it's estimated this year in America, over 150,000 Americans will be diagnosed with melanoma. From there, over 7,000 will die from melanoma. And to break that down even further, that means one American every hour, every day will die from melanoma. Now, a couple of points here. Uh, number one, uh, that those numbers don't have to be because even though this is the most deadly form of skin cancer, it is actually very treatable. It is very treatable. Um, and we know with early detection and early treatment, uh, survival rate increases. So um, if it's detected, if melanoma is detected early and treated early, we know the five-year survival rate is greater than 99%. Wow. If not treated and detected early, that survival rate goes down to less than 30%. So pretty dramatic drop-off. The other thing uh, that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily realize, and I think I'm probably guilty of this as well, using the terms skin cancer and melanoma kind of interchangeably, and melanoma is just one form of skin cancer. Correct. 
So there are three major types of skin cancer that we worry about and that we see on the skin. So the most common type is basal cell carcinoma, the next is squamous cell carcinoma, and then the third most common is malignant melanoma. And what are some of the warning signs of skin cancer, specifically melanoma, but skin cancer in general that people should be aware of? Right. So skin cancer in general, you want to evaluate your skin or your loved one's skin for any spot, mole that's changing, growing, hurting, or bleeding. Specifically for melanoma, we use what's called the ABCDEs. So A stands for asymmetry. So you want to evaluate all your moles and spots if they are symmetrical. So what that means is if you were to pretend cut it in half and fold it on top of itself, if it doesn't line up, that's asymmetrical. B is going to be border irregularity. So you want a smooth border. If you see anything jagged or feathery, that's a worry sign. C is going to be color and color change, so more than two or three different colors, a couple shades of brown, a black, or red maybe, that's a worry sign within one lesion. D is going to be diameter, so anything larger than six millimeters for reference uh, pencil eraser, anything larger than that is a worry sign. And then E is evolving, anything growing, changing, hurting, bleeding. Any of those signs in any of your molds or spots, you want to get into your board-certified dermatologist and get evaluated. Now, I know for a lot of different forms of cancer, there are recommended uh, screening intervals, be it breast cancer, prostate cancer, what have you. Uh, What is the schedule for uh, skin exams? How often should we be checking? We recommend seeing your board-certified dermatologist annually for regular skin cancer screening. Okay. And and unlike some others, uh, this is for all age groups? I mean, again, you think of some other forms of cancer. They say, you know, after a certain age, you need to uh, get screened for this. But this is something that can really affect anyone because we're all out uh, in the sun. Yes. Well, risk for melanoma increases with age. So the older you are, you definitely need to get in for an annual screening. But I would say starting in adulthood, about 18 years. And, you know, for children, melanoma is much rarer than in adults. Sure. Um, however, um, if a parent notices, you know, new moles or moles that are changing, they should get their child in for a screening. And And this is cumulative, right? Yes, so uh, cumulative UV radiation over your entire life, um, exposure to that is going to be more of a risk factor um, of developing skin cancer, specifically melanoma. Now, the other uh, point to bring up and make people aware of, uh, and this is kind of interesting, that just like everything else in our lives today, technology is uh, helping enhance uh, detection of skin cancer. As we mentioned, the earlier detection, the better. Uh, the results. So this is particularly uh, interesting and exciting. Yes. So uh, new to our office um, is a test that we can perform called the the DermTech Melanoma Test. Um, So what that is, it utilizes technology by evaluating three genomic markers in a lesion off the skin. So it uses smart sticker technology where we place a sticker four four stickers over that mole in question. We circle that lesion and we send it off to the laboratory. That laboratory is then able to detect if there are three genes that have been shown to be um, C3, 
seen in melanoma. And if any of those genes are detected, we'll have the patient come back into our office and we'll perform a skin biopsy. However, if none of those three genes are detected with 99% reliability, we can rule out melanoma in that lesion. Hmm. So to be clear, is this uh, technology uh, better able to catch early uh, cases or is, is it uh, less uh, invasive? I mean, what's the, the main benefit here medically? The main benefit is to catch any type of melanoma as early as possible possible. so that it can be treated as early as possible so we can save as many lives as we can. Yeah, because again, circling back to where we started, the... those are dramatic statistics as, as to uh, how deadly this is and uh, really a tragedy because it doesn't have to be. This is imminently curable. Correct. Uh, where do we get more information about all of this? www.dermtech.com has more information about the Dermtech melanoma test and about melanoma. Again, as we mentioned, May Melanoma Awareness Month, and Dr. Amy Spizwoko is uh, with us this morning, board-certified dermatologist. Uh, Amy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. as we were talking about yesterday, this is Small Business Week. Doug Jenkins is with us from the Finley Hancock County Chamber of Commerce. He is the host of the Chamber Amplified podcast and recently spoke with the folks of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce about their latest small business confidence survey about some of the challenges uh, faced by entrepreneurs in this high inflation post-pandemic economy. Doug, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We thanks, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's really kind of an interesting uh, uh, juxtaposition. And you brought this up in the uh, podcast, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. In talking with uh, small businesses locally, yeah. you get the sense that uh, everybody is is doing really well yeah. uh, in this post-pandemic. But there are an awful lot of concerns uh, about what is around the corner. Yeah, every it seems like every conversation I have right now. Is, you know, what's what's your biggest concern? And it's you know what's the economy going to do? Right. Uh, and then you know I'm worried worried about a recession, things like that. And then the second question I always ask is you know how's how are things for you? Busier than I've ever been. And <laughs> yeah, I just like so for, it and it's been odd. that way for a while. It's it's like uh, a combination of making hay while the sun shines yeah. while you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, quite a bit. So you spoke with uh, Tom Sullivan, who is uh, vice president of small business policy of the chamber, the U.S. chamber. And uh, basically, he echoed that same type of feeling nationwide. So this is not necessarily uh, out of character what we're seeing locally. Yeah, it's definitely not a unique scenario here in Findlay and Hancock County. I think most small business owners, most business owners in general are concerned about what could be down the road with the economy, but also are in some pretty good times when it comes to finding work. I, you know, really outside of maybe the service industry and the service industry is doing well too. They're just having trouble hanging on to workers more mm-hmm. so than other industries. Right. So uh, what is the reason for that? I mean, what was, what do they speculate is the, uh, is the reason gleaned from this, uh, this survey that they did? Well, there's, I mean, there's a few different things. One is, so we're paying more for employees right now, mm-hmm. which labor costs. The labor costs have gone up. Yeah. So that is, and it affects you in a couple of different ways. One, you're paying more, so you may have to – you're paying more for your, your labor, so you may have to charge more for your product or your services. 
But two, because people are making a little bit more money right now, they have more expendable income, which is a good thing, Mm -hmm. but that also creates more demand for products and services. So it's almost a little bit of a feedback loop there. Um, And certainly nobody is uh, saying, hey, pay people less. That's uh, that's not really the intent of the survey, but it is a factor in why inflation continues to be uh, an, an issue. That, And I think that's probably the biggest issue when it comes to the economy right now that small business owners are, are dealing with. So as you're talking with uh, with Tom Sullivan again at the uh, U.S. Chamber about this uh, survey, what are some of the other uh, sort of highlights that jumped out at you in terms of the, the, the stuff that really uh, impacts – uh, businesses uh, today that, again, you see echoed here locally? Uh, it's uh, funny. Housing is the one, and I shouldn't say it's funny, but it, it's interesting that it's housing because there's demand for more employees. We know there's a shortage of employees, and there's also a shortage of places for employees to live. We know we need more housing in Hancock County for the amount of jobs that are available here. And certainly we want more people to live in Hancock County than to commute to Hancock County for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a really big issue, and it's people being able to find that affordable housing so that they're able to then work in the community or live in the community where they work, mm. and then by virtue of that, spend their disposable income in the community that they then live. That is the, uh, you know, that is the uh, big crux of it. Yeah. Because uh, again, you talk about uh, increasing uh, wages, uh, creating more buying power, but that only works. Uh, to your favor if they're spending it where your business is. Exactly. I mean, think about our situation in Hancock County, and we have a lot of commuter uh, people who commute here and then mm-hmm. go back to Wood County, a Perrysburg or something like that. Well, their expendable income Goes is there. spent by and large there than it yeah. is with our local businesses. And mm-hmm. Certainly, we want to see that change. Um, is there some, and again, you see that echoed in this survey nationally, so is there some sort of um, I, I don't know, uh, solace in the fact that we're not alone in dealing with I that think challenge? So. I think mean, uh, To a degree, I, we're not facing, I don't want to say unique, because we're yeah. certainly living through unique times, uh, to be sure. But you know, everybody These are not unique challenges. Yeah, everybody is facing essentially the same scenario, so I think it leads to more opportunities for solutions because you have more people looking at it. Then if it's just a, a localized yeah. issue, then it's just... A smaller set of eyes on it. The flip side of that, when you look at this national survey from the U.S. Chamber, uh, are there are there things that that jump out that you that you talked about that are not necessarily as big of an issue here locally that you know we've. I don't want to say we've fixed, but we don't see uh, the problem to the extent of or these issues to the extent of some other places. And one of the things that Tom told me that from a national standpoint, one of the ways that businesses are dealing with inflation is they're cutting products or service lines. And not necessarily that that's a bad thing, but they're really drilling down on what is the biggest driver of business for them and then focusing their efforts. Biggest on that. driver or most profitable? Could be both. Could be both. Uh, yeah, a little bit of column A, column B in that situation. I, I don't know that locally we've seen as much of that. I mean, you go to your favorite restaurant, your fa- your you know your favorites are still on the menu. Mm. I think if you go and, and you're buying uh, products from area businesses, you're seeing the things that you normally see there. That's a little anecdotal. It did give me some like, okay, when I'm talking to businesses now, I'm, I'm asking that question. But I haven't talked to a ton yet just on that particular issue. But I don't know that we've seen people cut products lines services things like that 
to the degree that I think other businesses have elsewhere in the nation. Really interesting data from this uh, small business survey from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce that, again, you were talking about in the uh, Chamber Amplified podcast. Talk a little bit about this uh, podcast, by the way, uh, for those who uh, have have not checked this out yet. Yeah, well, what are you doing? Check it out, people. Come on. Uh, so it's uh, we had this idea uh, about a year ago. We've been doing it for a little while now, since March of 2022, uh, the idea is to focus in on one business issue every week, uh, whether it's employee recruitment and retention. We've done a lot on that. Uh, IT issues, cybersecurity, um, just general business issues. Marketing is always a big one. People mm-hmm. are always interested in different ways to market. We actually have started talking about artificial intelligence and its impact on businesses yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there was a recent episode on it, all, yeah. all about AI and its impact locally. You know, and it's yeah. and it's drilling down on these issues uh, on a local level. Yeah, uh, as opposed to the stories that we see and hear in the national media. Uh, about how this is impacting things broadly, you're yeah. bringing it down to the the local level. Yeah, I want to give an idea, people, an idea of how these things are being handled locally. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of our guests are chamber members, or they're from local businesses. But then sometimes, like we'll bring in Tom Sullivan. Right. You know, if we can get an expert from you to know, get that perspective. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's it's a it's a pretty good mix of that. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, you mentioned the the housing issue, which uh, again is a national issue. Yeah. We're not the only community struggling with that. That is the uh, topic of the the latest uh, pod, uh, edition of the podcast. That's right. So I forget what the, the impact, latest. The oh, impact yeah, that's of right. Housing on the that one. Yeah. That one. So, I, all right, you've known me for a while. You know that I tend to talk and then I'll just go off in a direction. The the, <laughs> uh, the I think it was the latest one where we had uh, uh, a couple of people from Bricker Grade Gnome. Uh, we were just going to talk about different legislative issues impacting uh, local businesses. And the first thing they mentioned was housing. And then my brain just kind of went to housing. So that's <laughs> all we talked about for yeah. about 15 minutes. Uh, so we'll have them back at some time. And it is a uh, a quick hit. I mean, you're talking about a half hour or so. Yeah. And, you it's know. supposed to be e- easily digestible. And then a lot of times uh, when we've had some shy members, but we're trying to highlight our long tenured members uh, on the second part of each podcast and talk a little bit about their history. So if you're interested in the history of Finley businesses and Hancock County businesses, that's the way. I mean, I learned that we have a business locally that i mean they're putting parts in space with spacex had no idea yeah. uh, until you start talking to people so yeah, really have to go into the back catalog for that one the uh, chamber amplified podcast from the finley hancock county chamber of commerce uh we've got a link up to it at our webpage, and again it's a weekly podcast uh all about business uh issues that impact local businesses and uh drilling this down on the uh, on the local level um again recent uh discussion with uh, tom sullivan of the uh, u.s chamber as a matter of fact we're going to have him on the uh on this show oh, cool. a little bit later on this week as well uh talk more about that as well but uh want to highlight the chamber amplified podcast again the link up at goodmornings.net and Doug Jenkins with us this morning from the uh, Findlay Hancock County Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Kind of a light day in the uh, broken news this morning. Not a whole lot of stuff here, uh, but uh, have you seen this? This is the viral video uh, that is making the rounds. People are uh, raving about this. Um, <laughs> uh, elementary school principal in West Virginia by the name of uh, James Marsh is just going about his business, minding minding his own business, uh, just kind of making his rounds. 
um, Monday morning when he got a bit of a scare. Uh, Mr. Marsh was opening the lid to a dumpster out back of the uh, of the school about 730, uh, 7.15 in the morning uh, on Monday. And uh, there's security footage of this, you know, security cameras at the school, so there's uh, video of, the, of this. He uh, opens the dumpster lid, and a black bear jumps out. <laughs> Apparently, the bear had been had been stuck uh, <laughs> inside the dumpster. So as he unlocks the lid, there's no word on exactly how the bear got into the dumpster in the first place because the lid supposedly is locked. But um, but somehow there's this, and it looked like a fairly young black bear. Um, but uh, <laughs> he unlocks the uh, the bar that goes across the uh, the lid of the dumpster, and the uh, bear pops out <laughs> and peeks back at him. Uh, he startled and and uh, runs off. Uh, the bear seems just as scared. Uh, jumps out of the uh, dumpster and runs in the opposite direction into the wooded area behind the school. Um, <laughs> nobody was, was hurt. But the video, if you haven't seen it, got to look for this uh, online because it is uh, absolutely hilarious. This uh, bear dumpster diver, dumpster diving bear, <laughs> pops out this elementary school. Nobody told me about that when I signed up for the job. Nobody told me that this was going to be part of the deal. Uh, let's see. What else is uh, going on? The uh, broken news. Uh, in Florida, uh, the other day, there was, uh, certainly a big buzz on the, uh, on the highway. Uh, doesn't say which interstate it was. It was on an interstate in Florida, um, around the Orlando area, a big rig struck a truck carrying one million bees. A big rig struck a truck carrying one million bees and their hives, causing a swarm on the interstate. A million bees. It happened Tuesday around 3 a.m. According to local news reports, Florida Highway Patrol said a tractor-trailer collided with a bee-hauling truck. Fortunately, no humans were seriously injured, and uh, outside of uh, being startled and a little upset, the uh, bees were not seriously injured either. Um, the, they had to issue a, an advisory for the public to use caution in the area because they had a million bees swarming around the uh, interstate. The, uh, they called in a beekeeper to the scene to recover the, uh, the beehives and uh, clear the area. But can you imagine... I mean, thank goodness it happened at 3 a.m. Because if this had happened in the middle of the rush hour, can you imagine trying to explain that to your boss while you were late for work? I swear there were a million bees swarming on, on the highway. Wow. Talk about uh, nobody signed up for this. The highway patrol arriving on the scene to find one million bees swarming before they could really uh, clear the area. Uh, A couple of other items here in the uh, broken news. I mentioned it's kind of a uh, light day for the broken news, uh, but this was kind of uh, interesting. Ride-sharing service Uber has released its annual list of lost and found items, the things that people leave behind in their Uber. 
um, some of the more it's Uber's lost and found index, a list of the most commonly forgotten and most unique lost items. The most commonly left behind items during the past year are things like phones and bags and wallets, headphones, jewelry, keys, books, laptops, watches, and clothing. <laughs> Where were my pants? Oh, I think I left them in the Uber. A... <laughs> They're clothing in the Uber. I don't know what's going on in those Ubers, but uh, some of the more unusual items left behind in the cars of Uber drivers include a fog machine, <laughs> an ankle monitor. Somebody left their ankle monitor in their Uber. I don't know if that was necessarily lost by mistake, but, uh, you know, a unicycle. I'm thinking if you're carrying a unicycle with you in your Uber, how do you forget that? I know I've, I know I left something behind. What was it? What was I? Was I oh yeah, it's my unicycle. It's a little odd. Um, 16 ounces of fake blood found uh in an, an uber i'm guessing around halloween um <laughs> a danny devito christmas ornament <clears throat> again i don't know if that was lost accidentally or somebody kind of <clears throat> quote unquote lost that on purpose a danny devito christmas ornament a fake tooth a pin depicting jesus holding a slice of pizza <laughs> all right uh, a lightsaber, a mannequin wig head, a slab of bluefin tuna for sushi, and a single Gucci loafer. Not a pair of loafers, just a single Gucci loafer. Uh, the index revealed multiple passengers managed to forget to un unload their pets. Now, again, if you take your pet with you on uh, in, a, in an Uber, how do you forget your pet? But they uh, reported a toy poodle, uh, several hamsters, a pair of turtles <laughs> lost behind in an Uber. Uh, the most forgetful cities of the year, according to Uber. Uh, the places where they find these most often Jacksonville, Florida, San Antonio, Texas, Palm Springs, California, Houston, Texas, Salt Lake City, Miami, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Kansas, and St. Louis. Most likely places where people are going to leave behind things in their Uber. You know, just kind of weird. Just kind of weird, and that's what we do in the broken news. And finally, a healthcare company has gotten the green light from the FDA for its latest creation, the Heart Seat. The Heart Seat. It is a smart toilet seat <laughs> that can measure... Your heart rate and oxygen saturation. Right there while you're sitting on the throne. That's right. Now you can keep tabs on your vital signs while you go about your business. The high-tech toilet seat um, measures heart rate and oxygen saturation through sensors embedded in the seat itself. Uh, according to the uh, website of the healthcare company, Kasana. In the future, the company plans to add blood pressure measurements to its list of capabilities. Uh, this clearance by the FDA is a critical step on our journey to commercialize the heart seat. 
according to company CEO Austin McCord. This brings us one step closer to helping patients and healthcare providers across the U.S. manage their health at home. <laughs> would, would you want one of these? Would you want one of these? Um, <laughs> you learn your heart rate and your oxygen saturation while you're doing number two. Uh, the company is aiming to launch the product by the end of this year. So if you're interested, it should be in the stores within the next several months. There you go. That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music, but it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It has often been said, uh, lamented, that we are losing our sense of community. And it's not just in this country. It seems to be a global issue. According to a new survey conducted by a media company, a mobile network in the UK, uh, they surveyed 2,000 adults and find that the average person, the average adult, has not spoken to their neighbors in three weeks. It's been three weeks since the average person has spoken to their neighbors. And one in 20 of those in the survey can't remember the last time they spoke to their next-door neighbor face-to-face. So I, I guess the concern about this loss of a sense of community is very real. Uh, and and when it does come to interactions with our neighbors, uh, it seems that passive-aggressive is the best way to describe it. Uh, this survey discovered that 56% of those in local online groups encounter sniping and mudslinging between neighbors. 34% describe it as pure entertainment. They... <laughs> they find this to be entertaining. I don't know what that says about us as much as it does anything else. 47% have shared information with friends and family about certain posts because they were either outrageous or amusing. So, I, I don't know. I mean, this is just weird. We're just we're uh, finding these uh, disagreements between, uh, between neighbors uh, to be a source of, of amusement or entertainment. Nearly one-third of adults in the survey are say they are friends with a neighbor on Facebook. So we're not speaking to them face-to-face, but we are at least friends with a neighbor on Facebook. Only 17% follow uh, at least one on Instagram. The uh, study uh, was commissioned to examine the level of community spirit, um, but... Man, I, I don't know. You look at that and say, what community spirit? And there is something to that uh, idea. We are confronted with these hard numbers. And we take a good, uh, long look at uh, the way we are interacting with our neighbors these days. Just kind of interesting, especially 
considering the big story in the news uh, this morning, and we were talking about a little bit earlier, that the uh, U.S. Surgeon General says uh, loneliness and isolation is a serious public health concern. Well, maybe this is one one place to start. Maybe just getting to know our neighbors on a more personal level. Something to think about. So coming up this weekend, happening around town, the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center is hosting an event in recognition of Asian American Pacific Islander Month. It is called the Dances of India. Jerome Gray, the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center, is with us uh, on the line this morning. We had hoped to uh, also be speaking with uh, Padma uh, Shabralu, uh, who is the President and Artistic Director of the Cultural Center of India, uh, who will be presenting this program. And unfortunately, a bit of a technical glitch uh, on our end. Uh, so our apologies to her. But uh, Jerome, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. This is, uh, as we mentioned, Asian American and Pacific Islander Month, uh, an example of how uh, the uh, library is uh, constantly looking to expand its reach uh, beyond just black heritage. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, one of our board members, Sarah Troyer, Troyer came across this opportunity to invite a dance troupe and interactive dance company that's based out of Cincinnati, the um, Cultural Center of India. And they will be coming to our building this Saturday at 2 p.m. to do their interactive uh, dance and, and troupe show. Uh, this is obviously it's focused on dancing. Uh, there are this is very, um, uh, I guess, all encompassing. I guess is from my understanding uh, with uh, a lot of drama. There's a lot of um, uh, there are a lot of layers to these uh, dances. I think for most of us, we've ever seen uh, dances uh, from that region. They look very exotic, and and, uh, so there is a meaning uh, behind all of these. Yep, they use dance, hand language, and uh, visual aids to bring about uh, and expand the lessons in multicultural history as it relates to language, art, and geography with respect to India. It is. Um, it is like a, it's like an uh, a, a a storytelling uh, technique. I mean, this is uh, the way over the centuries, and again, this is a culture that is centuries and centuries old. Uh, this is the way uh, the storytelling was handed down over the years. Yes, it is. The uh, you participants dance. It's you participate also, and they experience music, art, and traditions. And language and movements, costumes are very graphic, jewelry and more, and it promotes itself as being interactive with uh, participation by the people in attendance. So uh, this is happening on Saturday. Uh, give us all of the details on this. Yes, it'll be Saturday here at 817 Harmon Street, and it'll start at 2 p.m., and I think it's it's expected to last about an hour and a half. And I, again, 
this is something that uh, is just bridging the cultures, which is kind of the the mission, uh, the larger mission, the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center, as we mentioned. It's not just uh, African-American uh, history that you, that you hope to uh, to share as the mission of the, the multicultural side of that. You know, as the world grows and people start to interact more, Chris, it becomes about it becomes about everybody. Although our organization started out as the Black Heritage Library in 1982, things have expanded since then to where we represent cultures from around the world. And this is an opportunity to bring this Indian dance troupe to Finley and for people to come out and see what they do. I think it'll be very rewarding for those who are able to make it. And this is certainly a a part of global culture that is becoming more commonplace, uh, more familiar uh, for everyone. I mean, there was a time when uh, that part of the world wasn't uh, as as represented uh, even in our area and, and so on. You see it much more common. Um, we have these interactions uh, much more today. Yes. Well, you know, we, we, we have uh, members of the Indian community, Indian um, country in, in our community. Yeah. I remember when I came to the University of Finley in 1973, then Finley College, Shiv Gupta. Yeah. The first time that I had interaction with someone from that part of the world, he was an economics teacher. And it, it expanded even from the standpoint of learning how to understand him speaking English. Mm-hmm. Because you can hear the dialect of someone that was born and raised in India yeah. when they take on the American language. Yeah. So it, it's all a gro- part of the community growth. And, uh, of course, even in pop culture, uh, Bollywood movies uh, have become much more popular uh, here in recent years uh, as well. So, again, another aspect of that culture uh, that, that we see uh, kind of in this giant melting pot of, uh, of pop culture. Yep, and that's one of the styles that they use in their program. They'll have visual uh, displays of the Bollywood. Yeah, that was that was one of the uh, really interesting things. And uh, again, we were hoping to uh, to speak with Padma and, and uh, really. Uh disappointed that we weren't able to to make that happen and again that's all uh our <laughs> an issue on our end so i apologize uh for that but there are different forms of indian dance from the more contemporary bollywood style uh to the more ancient tribal types uh, of dances again not unlike uh american dance or i guess really any other uh part of the world but uh a lot of different I guess, applications of this, for lack of a better term. Yes, and that's what we're trying to bring to the community, for them to be able to come here and show the various styles that they have in order for us to grow in our education about Indian heritage. And our understanding of uh, of this culture, again, in recognition of Asian American and Pacific Islander Month, the Dances of India. It is Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. And uh, this is a free event, right? Yes, it is a free event. You don't have to uh, register or get tickets or uh, anything like no, that? No, no tickets required, but we always, always remind the audience we do accept donations in order for us to continue the programming that we do here at the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. It is such uh, terrific uh, programming, such terrific work that you are doing. We have a link up 
on our webpage for more information about the uh, event Dances of India coming up this Saturday. And again, Jerome Gray with the Black Heritage Library Multicultural Center. Thanks very much for the uh, update. We appreciate it. And it can also be seen on our, our Facebook page. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So even if you can't make it, uh, you can uh, check that out uh, online. Again, that link is up at our webpage at uh, goodmornings.net. Jerome, thanks very much. All right, Chris. Thank you. And that will finish up our very busy podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, local health officials have issued another overdose spike alert, the second already this year, prompting some to question the effectiveness of the community's response to the drug problem. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and making it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.